Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and today's guest is a poker player, the creative director of Face It, and a commentator who most recently has been announced to be working with Flashpoint Season 2. Please let me introduce James Bardolph. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I haven't done anything with you before, so I'm excited. Yeah, this should be this should be uh, a, hopefully a first for you. Like, I, I know that you've done a lot of interviews. Um, I watched through a lot of them, so it's it's always exciting to get to interview people who've who've done other things because I get to I get to have the fun experience of like asking you new questions, which I think is the, the most fun part about interviewing. So uh, we're obviously going to delve through a lot of different things, your life, what makes you kind of the person you are today. But I like to start it off easy for all of my guests. So what we're going to kind of start it off with is I found a SoundCloud. Now, I don't know if this SoundCloud is actually yours or not, or they've just stolen oh. your name. So this is a... Okay. Is, is, is Do you have a SoundCloud out there with music? I... Four I'm songs? I'm not sure. I th okay. I'm, try I'm starting to think maybe. Okay. I'm actually a little bit scared. Okay, um, so I could even uh, like go through one of the songs' name. It was uh, Nomad Soul. Uh, there was one of the songs I listened. It was very interesting. It was a. Are, I guess my question is: Are you a musician? Is that something that you're really into? Uh, performing or creating music? If if I made something, you wouldn't call it music. So I don't think that's me. Someone I mean, stole that, your that, name that and picture then. I will say okay. it's, it's pretty good. Like it has your picture and they stole your name and then they have four songs on there uh, that they claim are originals. It's actually, I was actually really impressed with that. I was like, wow, it's like a little jazzy tune there. Uh, but I know that you've mentioned that you're into rap too. So that was kind of where I was like, well, maybe he actually is a musician or someone who is like overly creative. A lot of people use my name and picture actually. If you, if you like put my name into Steam, there are so many accounts with my name and picture on like there's I was actually shocked at how many there are it's kind of funny to me but it's uh, also a little bit crazy just just how many there are so that is that is kind of amusing though but I do find myself in the weirdest places I have to say yeah I can I can <clears throat> that must be a surreal experience that like why do you think people steal your face and name so much because I I haven't seen that with a ton of other people like I've interviewed a fair amount of people and I haven't seen it where like their names and faces get stolen on like other things really like it seems as much i don't know um i think the the the, the weirdest thing i saw was uh mlg columbus 2016. i was walking down the short north to find a restaurant and there was a woman in the street holding a printout of my head um which was uh which was pretty special so that's not something i've seen before um but why? I don't know. I guess like just a, just a kind of crazy stuff I've done in the past maybe resonates with people. Um, so yeah, it is it is a weird thing. But um, did you sign the the full doc? Because I feel like you're obligated to. I feel like if someone has like a full on picture of you, you're like obligated. Like, hey, do, do you want me to sign that? Like, you have this. You went this far. I might as well sign it for you too. Um, if they wanted me to, I, w I certainly would have. I don't know if I can't remember to be honest. I, I might have. I took a picture of them for sure. Um, I might even have it on my phone. That's Although, hilarious, uh, though. Yeah, let me see. I've got to scroll back a little bit. Um, I do actually. So I'll just uh, I'll try and cut ahead off a bit because this was a long time ago. But you can oh, see, wow. like, 
<laughs> so, that, so that was in the street in in uh, in 2016. So yeah, lots of uh, lots of strange things have happened before, but it's awesome. I love it. It's it's great. I think I'm honoured to um, have all this stuff going on. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be pretty terrible if you didn't love it. Like, I mean, can you imagine like yeah. that level of fame and uh, people like do stuff like this all the time, but you hate it? Like that that sounds like the worst the worst yeah, like hell in, the in wrong existence. Industry. <laughs> yeah, like, in the wrong industry if you hate stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I think that that would be... I, I mean, it's good that you enjoy it. So one of the things about you that um, when I was researching, I noticed is that you do a lot of uh, scuba diving or uh, deep sea... I don't know if it's deep sea fishing, but you involve <laughs> yourself next to creatures that are terrifying in the ocean. Okay, that is where I will say. Okay, I'm terrified of being next to sharks, and you've done it. You, you like to go in, in there. It's it's actually awesome. I have to say though that I was telling this story to someone today um, when I first dived in the sea because I learned to dive in a quarry in Atlanta while I was doing E League, and then my first dive was actually in an aquarium in Atlanta as well. Really? But my first my first sea dive was off of California at Catalina Islands. Uh, they have a kelp forest there, and then some of their sea bass, mm-hmm. which were in a kelp forest. Um, but the week leading up to it, I was like, you know, I was I was thinking about things logically like if i'm in the sea and a predator decides i'm prey like anything i try to do from that point is basically irrelevant i just have to accept that i'm at the mercy of these creatures and so on and so that, so especially in the last week leading up to that dive i was like okay um back of my mind back of my mind back of my mind but once i got into the actual sea it was perfectly fine and i was just like it was just super cool it was awesome and and all those kind of uh, irrational fears because it, it, it's it's ultimately fear of the unknown like you're, yeah. you're scared of them until you're actually doing it and then you're just you're just fine if you're brave enough to you know if, it, if it's like a concern or you have an anxiety if you can overcome that to get in there goes away immediately so that was just going into the sea but when i when i first went shark diving that was um reef sharks in the bahamas mm-hmm. with Stuart coves diving so then i was like oh god it's sharks it's sharks um and when the boat pulls up, you can just see the odd one just swimming around the boat and so on, and they're just super chill. And other people get in before you, like if you were first or something, but you might be a bit panicky, but no, it's just perfectly fine. So it's all, um, I wouldn't say out of context, but it's just like, it's it's just an irrational fear. But that but that was reef sharks, and those, those are reasonably sized. But then going to Fiji is the bull sharks, which are the most aggressive type of shark, but mostly when provoked, um but that was different those ones you don't see straight away we went down to a pit and then there was like 40 of them all of a sudden but i i wasn't i was a bit excited more if i saw a tiger shark because the sheer size of those i haven't seen one of those yet but i was hoping i would see it but i think it would have been like exhilarating to see Uh um but no they're just like generally speaking they're all they're all super cool and they're just really awesome and it's there's something which is like therapeutic about scuba diving as well um, I, I have a, a fr- some friends here or there who have PTSD, some ex-army people, and so on. And it's I think it's a recognised therapy for them as well. Just general scuba diving. Yeah. It's like if you're you know you're angry or or anything, it just takes everything away. It's like the most significant thing that I think I've done in terms of like a life changing event. Yeah. Scuba diving was just like changed my world completely. Now, is it scuba diving in general, or do you have this like passion for nature? Because I've also seen you comment about food uh, or like post pictures of like delicious looking food. I'm a I love food, and I, my goal is to eventually travel the world and just eat all the food in the world. 
Um, mm. I don't really have any intentions of going scuba diving or anything like that, but I wouldn't mind eating <laughs> some of those, like. Things. Well, I'm a, I'm, I would say I'm a, I'm a foodie as well. I, in terms of nature, you know, I care about the environment and stuff. Especially, yeah, I think diving exposed me to what goes on with like shark finning, mm -hmm. the shark finning industry. And um, because uh, there are some theories in the East that because they theorize that sharks don't get cancer, therefore, if they eat sharks, they won't get cancer or it'll cure their cancer and yeah. so on. So it's like, it's more than a hundred million sharks, which are killed every year for this industry. Oh, wow. There's actually a, there's actually a documentary film called shark water, mm. um, which which exposes the people who've been doing this illegally in some South American countries where you have an entire roof of like a, on a shipping dock, just, just with all these shark fins that are just drying out and um, they got them confiscated by the police and so on. And, and the guy was making a, a sequel to that and he went diving with a rebreather <clears throat> where no bubbles come out, which allows you to get closer to some uh, sea creatures which would be scared of the, the sound of the bubbles otherwise. But he, he unfortunately died. He went, um, did a bit too much of it and uh, he passed out on the surface. But the person he was with also passed out on the surface. So, and the other guy went up first. So the people on the surface were like trying to get him out of the water. And the other guy drowned because they were busy with the first guy. Jesus. Um, I haven't, yeah. So I haven't seen, I haven't seen a second one yet, but that's definitely something I want to watch. So, so generally, like, you know, I care about that stuff and I try to, um, kind of raise awareness mm -hmm. on on that front but food wise um you got to get yourself to japan i would say i was born in japan i want to go back like i've never you been born there in japan or yeah. military base or yeah yeah i was born in okinawa actually oh that's really cool yeah so it's on the list like so what happens if you're born in a military base are you technically japanese or american uh i'm american so uh the way that it works for japan specifically as far as i know they don't have dual citizenship uh, some countries, I think you can get dual citizenship, but Japan, mm. I could not. I looked into it. I was very sad because that would have been awesome. That um, would have been cool. Yeah, I, it's on my list to go there because I remember my parents talking about Japan all the time. And I actually had um, Ben Goldhaber on here uh, who runs Juked, who loves going oh, to Japan as well. well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's on well, the I can list. See, I can see him being a weeaboo, so that, that, that makes sense to me. But for sure, I think like... You know, I went to Japan for 10 days and there are like a texture based uh, food country. So mm -hmm. I had an amazing experience there. I'm not fussy with food as well, which certainly helps. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things there, I went to a I went to a fish market, actually, where people bring in the, the night's catch. They've got all these like tuna mm -hmm. um, just laid out and frozen. I don't know how they frozen so fast, but they're all frozen. I've actually, I've actually got a blog, a photo blog. I think my last entry was Japan. I haven't updated it in ages. Um, although I've got my new camera, which is just down here. So hopefully it'll be updated soon enough. I actually made a video. I made a video of my uh, eSports event I did in Russia. So rather than my photo blog, I put it on my YouTube. Anyway, um, so there's this place called Sakiji Fish Market, which if uh, tourists used to be able to roam around yeah. a lot more, but it got in people's way. So now there's like, this wooden walkway that takes you through the middle so you can't just irritate people getting on with their daily lives. But anyway, you go there at like three o'clock in the morning and basically the fishermen are auctioning uh, their catch. So each one's got their own lots with everything mm -hmm. laid out. And uh, I guess people from restaurants or whatever, they've got these, I don't know, some kind of tools, like pokey thing to like inspect the fish and so on. And they'll bid for 
for that particular catch. But they also had um, a sushi a sushi restaurant on site, which opened at half past six in the morning. And I, I went there, um, and basically the, the foreigners would get this big laminated menu of all the different sushi. So you could just point at the pictures. And there was a there was there was one other couple in the restaurant, and uh, they picked something from the menu. And I was sitting by the bar, so I could see what the guy was doing because he had a blowtorch to do certain things. But um, they, he had a tank as well with a few fish in the back, and one of the fish they chose was coming out of that tank. So the guy uh, netted the fish, put it on the table, and then he just cut the sides of it to make to make the sushi yeah so he didn't kill it didn't do anything didn't cut its head off just literally had the live fish there just cut the sides and made the sushi then he had like basically the skeleton and the head and he wrapped it around a cocktail stick as decoration and served it to the couple while the head was still twitching like this which was like <laughs> i wasn't expecting to see that so that was like a monstrous adrenaline rush for me i don't know what they were thinking because it was on their table yeah. <laughs> but for like you're gonna have two extremes like oh my god this is cool or oh my god i'm gonna be sick um, but that was, uh, you know, that was the culture of, of, of that country. And that was, that was an amazing experience as well. I'm glad it wasn't on my table because that's, that's some serious guilt right there. The thing's still moving and while you're going to eat it, ugh, I don't know what I think about that, but. I mean, haven't they said that um, fish can't feel, uh, feel pain the same way? Generally, that's the, that's the idea. But I mean, I just don't, I mean, maybe it's, that's dependent on nerves. There might, maybe there's some science behind that. Yeah. I don't really have an opinion because. I don't know how you could know. Like if you watch a spearfishing yeah. video, um, I, I watched, there's, there's a spearfishing channel on Instagram, which I, which I follow. And you'll see like if a, if a fish gets speared, you know, it will try and swim away unless it yeah. gets the one shot and it's just instantly dead. So it must have feelings to know it's been speared. Mm -hmm. So I don't know it would make sense to me that it feels pain yeah. because that, that is a way to know you're in danger. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. They can't Maybe. communicate with us. That's true. That is true. This willingness to explore the world, that is, I think, a really awesome thing that you have. Have you always been like, have you always been someone who wants to explore the world? Was that something you were taught growing up? Well, when before, let's see, it was about 15, 16 years ago. I used to be, are you familiar with DeviantArt? Uh, yes, I am. I, I think okay. I've seen people. At least I've seen people like post some of the artwork, like the the different yeah, artwork. Yeah, these. Me. I mean, these days I think it's just pictures of furries yeah. and uh, and weird stuff. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, there was a, there was a quite a reasonable photography community. Mm -hmm. So so like right now, I shoot with a digital rangefinder, which I bought last year. But I used to shoot with film rangefinders back in the day, which I just I can't be bothered to to develop them anymore. But I used to organize um, photography trips around Europe. We did one in Paris. We did one in Tallinn in Estonia. Uh, we did one in Krakow, Poland and Venice and maybe some other places I can't remember. But I used to do like a Friday to Sunday trip and make it as economical as possible mm -hmm. for people. Um, we had people from Indonesia turn up to go to the one in Venice, which was really, really oh. cool. Um, so, so they, they were popular, but it wasn't too big a group of people. Yeah. So it was like a close, a close knit community. So we used to travel with, with a purpose like that before, but I think like, fortunately, because of my job, I could take that to another extreme. Mm -hmm. So now 
when um when i go to like you know most years these days i spend about two months at a time in la twice a year yeah and often as we have a little break in our season because there's other events going on and so on so i try and use those breaks my plan was every time i go to la i want to fly to another country um that, that would be more expensive for me to go to from london for example yeah so i went to fiji to do the shark diving there from la I was supposed to go to French Polynesia to go diving there, but I missed my flight because I booked it almost six months in advance and they they brought it forward an hour and I didn't read that email properly. Oh. So I turned up an hour late. Then I went back to the office like two hours late. I was like, hey guys, I missed my flight. So what are we up to today? Um, so yeah, like when, when I go to Shanghai, for example, the second last time I went to Shanghai, I flew to Bali mm-hmm. um, to go... One of the guys who used to work on Counter-Strike, actually, he randomly challenged me to go and find some sunfish, which if you do you know what sunfish is? Okay, we have something. So I grew up originally in Upper Michigan near the Great Lakes, and we have something called sunfish, but I don't know if they're the same thing. Okay, well, actually, it's called mola mola. Sunfish, I think, are the small fish, which kind of are like flats, and they just lie sideways okay okay on the surface to, to i guess to get sun but mola mola are like as big as me which is like six foot four but they're about as wide as me as well so just this big long fish which is super thin and you can find them in places like bali but they generally stay about 75 feet or no actually i think they're like a hundred feet or something but mm-hmm. it's in a certain season and if it's not in that season they're they're normally i think they're deeper or maybe they're in a different place. I can't remember, but um, I went there just before the beginning of that season, so I didn't get to see them. Mm-hmm. But also, I was extremely sleep deprived from China, um, and I was taking anti-nausea pills, which also make you drowsy. So I was falling asleep under the sea after that first dive. I just stayed on the boat and just got ruined by mosquitoes. So it wasn't a good time on the, on those dives, but. The point is, you know, I probably, I mean, who knows if I ever would have gone to that yeah. place. Maybe Bali I would have, but Fiji, I think I'd probably never go there had it not been for for this. So I think the, the funny thing is I kind of learned to scuba dive at random <clears throat> when I was in Atlanta and I was there for two, I was there for two, I was there for five weeks. Yeah. Um, but so like dan chose to stay there the entire time i chose to fly it to london and back every week because it was for three or four days a week we were doing a show but um for two weeks i stayed there and i went to the aquarium and i found out you could dive in the aquarium and the only reason i learned to dive in general was to dive in that aquarium mm-hmm. but again that gave me a that changed my approach to the world and allowed me to just travel in ways i wouldn't do otherwise yeah. i went to mexico to cozumel on my own did drift diving there which was absolutely amazing infinitely clear water i saw a barracuda which was really cool um so i know i i think especially with the kind of work we do it's you know some love to travel some find it pretty difficult Mm -hmm. and like if you don't have a useful way to spend your time like if you look at launders for example when we travel he will look for a place to go climbing Mm-hmm. Um, I'll look for a place to go diving or or hiking or something. But historically, like years ago, some people would just, you know, sit in the room and drink and then just not be yeah. happy and so on. So this is this is what I do to get mental stimulation. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really healthy too. So I wanna I wanna take it a, a step back, and by a step back I mean like a lot lot of years back. 
Um, you were okay. uh, slightly older than me. Um, not by a whole ton, but slightly older than me. Okay. Um, I'm almost 30, so um, I, a little bit. Um, so uh, one of the things I want to ask you is you grew up in England, <laughs> if I have my research correct, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. What was it like growing up in England for you? What did your, what did your mom and dad do growing up? Um, it was, I think mine, I think my growing up was a lot more extreme than other people's. My parents split around the time of my birth. So uh -huh. I grew up, I grew up only with my mother. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I actually grew up, um, I used to live on Buckingham Palace Road, which is the same road as the palace, mm -hmm. which sounds, which sounds pretty good. It sounds um, fancy to an was, American. I'm just going to say it sounds, it's, it's, it sounds fancy. Yeah. But it, it's, it's kind of weird because like my, I'd say my, my dad was the main breadwinner. He had his own company that did aircraft tools Oh wow! and sold him to airlines and so on. But when he split, he wasn't there. So <clears throat> my mom was in this place and she has sickle cell. Oh, wow. Are you familiar with sickle cell? Sickle cell anemia, right? Yeah. 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 Well, for, if anyone who's watching is not familiar, basically some of your red blood cells uh, don't travel through your your veins and things properly because they're the shape of a sickle, which causes uh, immense pain, basically, uh, which I guess is sometimes called a crisis. And there's not much you can really do about it. Yeah. Um, but have like an IV drip at its worst. Um, <clears throat> I just found out actually someone um, from the fighting game community who also had sickle cell, he had a seizure early this year and oh, died. Jesus. Um, which I just found out about. So I didn't even know that was possible. Um, but anyway, so basically the point of me saying that was, you know, she, like my, my dad used to work for Colgate and well, he was in the Navy and then he used to work for Colgate and Guinness in Africa. And uh, one of the places he worked in was Cameroon, which is where he met my mother. So she came over here and she's from Francophone, Cameroon. It's Francophone and Anglophone. And um, <laughs> unfortunately they're at war with each other right now. But anyway, so she at this point you know she used to work in his business um before they split but after that she worked as a cleaner but it was difficult for her to keep a job down because if she has a sickle cell crisis she can't turn up to yeah. work so she was in and out my mom my mom's very aggressive as well so she was <laughs> she told me recently um that she had some jobs in pubs and one of them she got fired after four hours um one of them, she got fired after two days. Jesus. And one, I think the one after, I think the one, the one in two days, there was this guy who kept harassing her at the bus. She punched him in the face. Holy and, shit. Uh, like he, he was sitting on a chair at the bar and she punched him in the face. So he fell off his chair and, and she got fired for that one. And she was like, and they didn't pay me for the two days. <laughs> um, Your mom sounds like a one. badass. I'm not going to lie. She, she, she was, uh, she was very aggressive. I put it that way. So the other one, she 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 worked in for longer. I remember because I used to go there as a kid, and she would give me a plate of sausages. But yeah, so we even though it's kind of weird, we lived there. I guess I'm assuming probably because they couldn't kick us out at that point, but uh, because she had a child. But you know, she was. We were we were pretty poor. We didn't have any money. So, mm -hmm. uh, but but actually, she it was weird. She's from Cameroon, but she she taught me manners and kind of she taught me like English manners and, and things, which was pretty impressive. Um, when I was a kid, she put me in, in ballet for a while. She sent me to a youth club, which ironically I recently became a, a trustee for, oh, wow. uh, which is really awesome. But she sent me to a youth club where I did karate. I learned to do archery, pool, snooker, basketball, 
football, all kinds of stuff. So she kept me out of trouble in that sense. Um, I remember once I was, uh, I must've been like nine or something. And after the youth club, I just kind of hung out with the, with the local lads mm-hmm. um, on a street called Pave Street. And I, I was just, just standing there, just, you know, whatever, just, we were just standing there and this police car pulled up and they said, is this you? And they pulled out a school photo, a framed school photo of me. It was so embarrassing. I just died. And it's like, yeah, so I had to get in the car and they drove me home. So she wasn't, she wasn't messing about. Um, but I used to get, I used to get mad beats, a strong African mother. You're going to get those handprints on your, on your thighs and things. So that was, I guess that, that, that was, those were the early days when I went to secondary school, which you would call high school. Yeah. That was even wilder. Um, so can, so, I ask, can I ask you a follow-up question before we get into that? Yeah. Uh, your dad then, you mentioned that he wasn't out of the picture. Was he like not really there at all? Was he working in Africa or? my? No, he was in London, but my mother wouldn't let him speak okay. to me. So I didn't speak to him until I was about 15 Okay. when he found out what school I was going to and he wrote them a letter. He wrote me a letter, sent it to the school. They called my mum and she just, she she said I could to let them ha- let me have it. Okay. And I could decide what I wanted to do. Um, so my first year of high school, um, I, oh, so I had, I had some trouble like in, I had some trouble in, in the earlier school. And for a brief time I went to, there was this place where like violent kids would go mm-hmm. and I wasn't particularly a violent kid and shouldn't have really been there. I did meet some cool guys there though. Um, but that, but that caused me some issues. So I ended up rather than going to one of like the, the nicest schools in London, I had to go to a school in North London and I was from central slash South. So it didn't really make any sense, but I went to a school called St. George's school. It was a Mm -hmm. Roman Catholic school. I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, but the first year, um, how do I say this? The first year, well, firstly, when I went there, because I had a Apache background. I was interviewed by the headmaster of the school and he was super, he was a super nice guy. He was really, really awesome. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if, how many months in it was, but he got murdered outside the school with a machete. What the, um, with a machete? Yeah. So I was in the playground at the time. Basically there was this, this kids um, who, I know he had some he had some issues with some some students in the school and they were like some some triad type people who came to stab that kid but um the headmaster heard about the commotion so he went outside i was in the playground at the time um and i saw him come back afterwards and he was holding his chest and he just had like just he was wearing a white shell obviously and it was just like stained with red blood down the bottom of Holy his chest shit. So he, he, I'm pretty sure he died in the, in the school and then the kids, the kids that were there. So he got, he got like stabbed down here somewhere with a machete and it went up and pierced his heart. Oh my God. And he died. So that was my first year of high school. So okay. he. Did that, did that, does that have an effect on you? Or is this like standard quo? Cause I imagine for me that that would have an effect on me. I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Granted, I am just uh, an American white kid who went to a school that had like 20 kids. So I'm just yeah, very small. But like, does it have an effect on you? you? I mean, you saw your headmaster literally stabbed and bleeding there and he eventually died. Yeah, I think it, I think it would for most people. It was just surreal to me. 
Okay. Afterwards, obviously, the police came and all the kids that were there were in the main hall where you'd have assemblies or lunch. And <clears throat> I remember standing there looking around and it you could just see like a chorus of kids crying. Just like there were just loads. There were yeah. way more kids than there were like staff, obviously, in there. And they were just all really just sort of like that kind of bawling yeah. noise just from like, I don't like know, like exhausted crying. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was really surreal. It was just surreal to me. It was just surreal. I don't know. I mean, I had like, uh, I had a pretty, <laughs> I had a pretty, oh, there's a lot to, uh, <laughs> there's a lot to talk I about. Like stories, I, man. I mean, this All is, right, so, so I, I had some crazy shit happen in my, in, in, in my life before, before, before that time. My mum was kind of violent. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, you know, there's a kitchen utensil, right? Which you would use on a chicken or something. Oh, uh, like, like a, a bowling knife. Type thing. It's like a, oh. it's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 I had one of those in my arm before I was 11. So I actually have, you probably can't see it, but there's like a mark here and a mark here from. Well, yeah, I can, oh, can see, see one of the one. marks. You can see that one. And yeah. the other one's like there. You got stabbed with so, like a, a pitchfork? It was, it was, well, kind of, yeah. It was hanging out of my arm briefly and then it kind of fell off, but. I, I um, think that qualifies as stabbing, James. Okay. I think yeah. So, so, what happened? How do you get like what? Uh it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I'm not going to go into that one. Okay. But that that was a thing. So that was. I moved house at eleven, so it was before I was eleven. I think it was like eight or nine, but that was a thing. So. It was just. It was just surreal for me. I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I must've been affected by it, but I, but I it's think like, what, was it like watching a movie? Cause that's what it almost, when you describe it, it sounds like you're almost just watching a movie. Like it's something that you can't really believe is like, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I, I didn't really, you know, I'm not the most emotional person for the most part. And I think that is maybe like a product of, product of my environment. Yeah. I think it's like a, maybe a survival thing, but mm-hmm. so that was the first year, but, but the school was generally, it almost got closed down. I think they brought um, they brought a teacher in. I think her name was Stubbs, and I think she used to teach. I think she t- taught in a military school or something. But it was it was crazy. Like there was a guy I knew from round the way who was a, who was actually I was with when that police car pulled up, and uh, one day I was in the school, and he was he was a few years older than me, and I tapped him on his left shoulder and stood on his right. You know that typical joke, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he turned around and punched me in the stomach with knuckle dusters on. Like immediately, he just had them on his hand. So, <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a very crazy school. We had beef with, with, the with the local school, St. Augustus as well, just because, you know, they're local. Like yeah. now you've got like postcode wars in London. So there was all that stuff going on. Um, so there was all that. And before, before I was a certain size, I got bullied. Once I moved, from where I used to live to where I, where I still live now, basically. So, you know, like early, early teenage years. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I just didn't think to like defend myself. I just kind of absorbed it and like, whatever. So, so there was, there was a lot of that um, for, a, for until a certain period of time until I, until I was big enough and, and then I became extremely aggressive mm-hmm. and then it, you know, it just stopped. So I was like, ready to go as, as far as far as necessary i wasn't really afraid of anything or concerned of anyone so so that was that so that was uh i mean there, we played a lot of football as well <laughs> there was some good there was good, but yeah. 
Okay, so like near my school, um, there's this place called Paddington Rec, Paddington Recreational Ground. They've got like a an AstroTurf football pitch. They had mini five-a-side football pitches. They had a multi-use one, which we played hockey on sometimes. And we used to go and play play football there after school. Um, but there were some there were some people from from around the area, um, some of which are dead now. Um, but they used to like go and rob people for their phones, try and take people's school bags and so on. Um, they hit one of my mates over the head with a hammer oh. one day when I wasn't there just for his school bag, which has got like notepads and stuff in. So, so yeah, that's just like, uh, <laughs> See, that, I, that was, I, I've, I've, inter- I've, I've interviewed other people from the UK. Um, so like yeah. I've interviewed like James Banks. I have a couple other people, uh, uh, Foxdrop who works for uh, League of legends. Uh, and so I've had very different stories depending on where people live in the UK. Um, like I know James Banks was involved in like a gang and stuff like that um, at some point. But I've, it's very interesting that it, it it seems very polarized. It seems like you either go to like a really good part or it's you, you, you have like a really bad part of like the area. Yeah, it depends. Um, I, th- I think like. The area I live in is is a really nice area. Yeah, I mean, any any community you're gonna get people bullying people, yeah. right? Um, but I think that I wasn't let into the good schools like London Oratory and places like that, where I probably would have had my career would have had a different timeline entirely. So I think when the, the school I went to was like, well, it wasn't it wasn't a good school, and I think but but the area it was just like a, a melting pot of problems. The school I was going to, the nearby school, the area of like Kilburn, Maidaville and Warwick Avenue, there was just like um, a lot of different problems going on. Um, So, yeah, I guess it's just it just had all the right ingredients for a nasty concoction. So how do you stop yourself from... I guess going down what can only be described like a darker path where you're hitting people over a head with a hammer to get their, their handbags. How do you, how do you stop yourself from being part of that and just keeping to fall into it? After that stuff, um, I did actually carry a knife to school for a while, but it was more of a, of a self-defense thing, but it was, it was in my backpack. So it wasn't really realistic. Like if, if it, you know, I took it. It was it was such a crap knife as well. It's from my from my kitchen, right? It had like a, it was like that long, a blade that was about that long, and it was just like really bendy, yeah, and just just it was just like crap. But I didn't have any. We were poor man. We just that's what we had. But yeah, that was just like you know I wasn't trying to get murdered, so yeah, it was in my backpack, but it wasn't really. I didn't really have intention of 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 using it. It's just like you know if, if you're if you're mates are getting hit with hammers and stuff. Um, I don't know, but I didn't, I didn't really carry it for long, but there was that. And I guess you get to a certain age and uh, a lot of the people from around the way were like smoking weed or selling weed or selling cocaine or whatever. But my mum always said to me that if she ever caught me smoking like a cigarette, that she would just beat the shit out of me. And she did anyway. So, but I knew that would be like some kind of nuclear level proper like full-on african beating which i i was not ready for um so i guess she kind of uh drilled that into me so i I never had any interest in um in doing anything with drugs even weed or anything like i've had like i've had space cakes you know in la and amsterdam but beyond that i've never like even smoked a joint or anything 
Um, this I've just not been slightly interested in it. And I think that's part of it because it's that stuff. It's uh, being interested in like profiting yeah. from that as well and, and having to make money to, you know, blah, 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 which is maybe where you start rubbing people's phones and this and that. So I just, I was never interested in, and it got to a certain point where when that was getting like heavier with my mates and they were getting more into that, I just moved away from all of them. I just, I just literally stopped hanging around with them. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, at home, I was, um, my mother, I don't know how the hell she did it looking back, but she bought me a Packard Bell PC um, from somewhere. And uh, I used to play Counter-Strike on that and, you know, a few other things. But I didn't like, I didn't like hide indoors. You know, I still played football with the with the guys and stuff, but I just didn't hang out with them. I had my own interests. Um, I was cycling a hell of a lot with with uh, my mates. We'd go racing through through London at night. Um so I just, uh, you know, took myself in a different direction. I didn't, I didn't want to be. I made a conscious effort not to talk like I was purely from the street. I didn't like grow up in a, in an area, where people talk like this. I grew up in a, in a place where where it's like the common folk, basically. Yeah. Which I basically grew up as, but I just decided that 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 was not going to be my fate. Mm-hmm. With the typical stuff, where like a lot of the people I grew up with were. You know, they were like unemployable. They'd be painter, decorator, painter and decorators or taxi drivers, which there's nothing wrong with either, by the way. It's just that like they'd have to do something that was basically self-employed because they just they just hadn't learned anything. And, you know, they're kind of moronic, some of them. So, um, yeah, a lot yeah. of them are in prison now, actually. But anyway, it's a very so, sad, uh, but... yeah, I just I just I just chose I just chose that, you know, I, this is this is uh, my part is better than this. So. So I guess my my question for you then is um you come from like I I kind of view you as I would I think the best word is like a self-made man like someone who is you have an incredible work ethic from what I have uh, read and seen um you seem incredibly intelligent um but it, when you're going to school are you this type of person are you are you someone who's thinking how am I going to make it ahead in my future are you looking at doing school are you looking at starting your own business what are you thinking about to move yourself from this area that is uh, maybe primarily with people who are self-employed or impoverished to a different lifestyle. How do you decide this is what I'm going to do to get out of this? Well, I was a, I was a, I wasn't really looking to my future. You know, I want to do this. I want to do that. Well, I mean, I liked IT stuff, right? But um, the problem was because of the violence in and out of our school, we didn't really have many good teachers. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, my one of the best teachers we had was the French teacher. Um, who was, he was one of the people where some, for some reason, everybody just feared him and was, it was super, everybody was on mad best behavior in his class and it was just completely terrified from him. Uh, so when he was there, like my first year, I got straight A's in French mm-hmm. with him. Um, but it turned out, I found out late, I mean, he, one day he just wasn't there anymore. Turned out he's in jail because he, in you know some decades before was like physically abusing students was kind of a pedophile so he's in jail so he was yeah he was his name was that Mr. took the very drastic extreme that went from yeah, like zero yeah, to yeah. ten very quickly yeah so so that was him and we had like one or two reasonable teachers but for the most part the teachers were awful mm-hmm. the teachers were just everything about that school was bad so um, there, I mean, there were some, there were some people who, who worked really hard. I think there was some, like, there was, there was a lot of, it was a big mix. It was a big cultural mix. It wasn't 
the posh white people school. There were loads of like Africans there. There were people from Kosovo there, mm-hmm. uh, like refugees, people from various countries that were there. Um, and some of them worked super hard. Um, sometimes, I don't know, it was, I was a practical joker. You can kind of see that in, in my behavior on camera, but yeah. I was definitely a practical joker. And I was, uh, you know, flirting with the with the cute girls. I went out with one of them um, for a while in the last year. But I was I was just kind of causing havoc um, a lot of the time. I mean, our French our French classes in future years got so pointless that we used to just throw dictionaries at each other because it's a French English dictionary, right? So it's like a lot bigger than a normal dictionary. Yeah. So we used to just throw it at each other's heads and stuff. So it was just it was just complete carnage. I mean. I got terrible grades at school in like religious education is compulsory to a certain age. You have to do it to, I guess, 16. Yeah. Um, but I said to my RE teacher, I'm not coming to these classes because I, I don't believe in the stuff I'm being taught. I don't want to learn it. I'm not going to take the exam. So see you later. And he respected that. And it was like, you know, maybe you'd get reported or something in a different school but my school, as you can see, was complete anarchy. So he didn't say anything about it. It just left me to my own devices. So when I, I used to just flow with girls in the library or something um, during that class. So that's so when when that Stubbs came in, like she would come because people would be bunking, just hanging out in the corridors, and she would just come thundering down the corridor. People just run for their lives anywhere else because she was a pretty intimidating lady. But yeah, so in terms of. Uh, like education wise in terms of grades and stuff it wasn't you know i was i would say that i was a smart person but it just like wasn't particularly the environment where you were going to learn anything not many people had control of their class so like everyone would sit down just be chatting with each other and some teachers would just sit there until the class decided to be quiet and then start teaching and stuff you know it was just it was just a mess so so the grades um were awful in secondary school. I went to a sixth form college for one year um, with some catch up to do. And after that one year, I I wasn't like enrolled for the next year. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but there was that was just it. I was just, I, I was supposed to apparently do something, which I didn't do. So I didn't have a college to go to anymore. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do IT support stuff because you know if you're if you're any kind of geek you can take a shitty IT support job um and just like fix people's printers and things. So I did that um for companies, but I decided like I could do I could go the like IT certification course instead of all this university bullshit. So I was um studying for a CCNA, Cisco certified network associate, and also MCSE, Microsoft certified something or other. Yeah which comprises seven MCPs to make an MCSE. So I was doing, I went to, I did some exams. I think I did like four MCPs and I almost finished my CCNA, but then I changed jobs and worked for a property company in IT again Yeah. for three years. And then um, I, they let me do a, have a crack at a sales job. Yeah. And I just bullshitted my way until I figured out what I was supposed to know and basically learned to sell commercial real estate while on the job, which was the most important thing for me because I had to deal with, it wasn't, you know, if, you, if you're selling like apartments, it's very, it's very different. There are emotional purchases. Let's go yeah. the There are emotional purchases and you're dealing with people 
on on one side and maybe a person or a company on the other side. But commercially, you're dealing with two companies, two sets of lawyers, sometimes a pension fund, which also has its own set of lawyers. So that's like proper, no fucking around business stuff, which was really important for me to learn. Yeah. Because that that's like such an important mindset for people to to figure out. It really makes you like a proper adult doing that stuff. And especially in a sales job where like how much money you, you put your money in your pocket. So um that was that taught me more than anything else. That yeah. experience. Did that for seven years and that was like critically important for me. Yeah. I I mean I can having owned my own business, I can completely agree that like Getting involved in the business world, I think, is some of the best education that is not college related. Um, mm. I'm generally of the opinion that um, a lot of times people get scammed with colleges, in my opinion. I think it's um, <laughs> in schools in general, at least in, in the States, I think that our public schooling is not very good. Um, and I think and obviously our colleges cost a fucking fortune here. So I know your education over there is crazy. I know like in Texas, if you consider how big Texas is, I know that all the textbooks for school across the entire state are the same mm -hmm. and decided by i don't know who but if you have an agenda and you want to raise a certain type of person that's kind of fucked up but there we go yeah uh, do you ever feel i mean you you obviously came from uh, a not particularly great school do you ever feel passionate about wanting to like make a difference or like comment on the school system or is it something that you're like i i made it through it and it's it's whatever um, definitely like if I ever have an opportunity to talk to people in schools, I'm always, I'm always up for that because it's, it's, cra it's crazy. The, the pressure that some people feel with school results. Sometimes you see kids committing suicide yeah. before they get the results because they're so scared. And again, like, I think fear is mostly of the unknown. And I think when you're at that point in your life, you don't necessarily know what lies around the corner like what yeah. if you fail is there a way out are you going to be working in um a fast food place for the rest of your life it's like it's quite crippling for some people so i think it's important to say that you know i came from a place where everything was fucked and fucked everything up but found you know to tell my story because it's probably a lot worse than most of theirs yeah so if it if it gives gives perspective for one person that, you know, it's not that bad, then I think, I think that stuff is super important. Definitely. Yeah. Which is why, for example, I became a trustee of the youth club I used to go to as a kid, because I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the people on that trustee are typical kind of like 60s, 70s, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think I can bring a different perspective, especially as somebody who went to the club. It's the oldest club in the world, actually the oldest youth club in the world, really? called St. Andrew's club. But, um, I went there, I'm sure, more recently than they did. So I think I can probably connect with the boys and girls on the streets a bit more. So I think that stuff's really important. Yeah, I yeah. think it's I think it is too. I think that's that's really uh I think it's a really good thing for you to do. Um one of the things that I kind of looked into is that you, you you even mentioned this a little bit earlier is photography is something that you really enjoy. Um you used to you talked about doing the photography club. Is that something that you've always been into? When do you start to pick up photography? Because it's a very weird thing to uh, I come from this really hard school. I go into IT. Where like photography doesn't feel like necessarily uh like I'm just gonna drop this in my lap today. I don't know how I got into it, but I'm pretty sure my first camera that I had was a I think it was a Canon PowerShot A70 or something 70. Mm -hmm. Basically, like one of my biggest and longest loves is cycling. 
and I used to just cycle around London at night when I wasn't when I was unemployed. I just I like London late at night when no one is around and the street the roads are empty and you can yeah. just cycle. My friend who um, is also a trustee who I went to school with, he was a year or two below me. Um, we would cycle west. We would just cycle west until we got lost, basically. And then be like, should we turn back? Okay, let's turn back. So we just go cycling when he's just just mad journeys. But I used to I used to cycle at night and then take like a an angled picture on a bridge or something with all all the lines, you know, just like geom geometry, ge yeah. geometric type things. So I guess it just started there for fun. Then I found a community of people on DeviantArt and uh, we used to meet up and then it got more serious. And I kind of, it's funny because in a lot of ways, um, I tend to devolve rather than evolve. So, I, so after that, I bought a, like a Canon SLR, but then I went backwards and got film range finders and I only shot in black and white. And it's like, you know, I, with watches, I started with like Timex Ironmans and stuff. And now this, this thing is 51 years old, the, the watch on my wrist right now. So I, I feel like the older stuff has more character. Um, so it's just, it's just something that developed, um, just absorbing other people's photography, old photographers like Henri Cartier-Bresson and, and things. And uh, I found a, a love for photojournalism and documentary photography. And uh, I know it, it resonated with me. I found it compelling. So it's something I'd like to do myself. I bought this. Um, it, it wasn't really reasonable for me to, to shoot film anymore, but this is a digital one. So yeah. with this, I can do like, if I, like when I went to Epi, not Epicenter, it was uh, another event in Moscow. Um, it's on my, it's on my CS YouTube channel. Basically I took photo, I documented my entire journey there, my experience there. And I spoke over the photos to give people a view on what my life is like as a, as yeah. a commentator in Counter-Strike. So I find that very uh, rewarding to do. And again, like not everybody knows how to kind of enjoy themselves when they go away from these trips and they get homesick and so on. But this is one of like many ways that I can mm -hmm. get something more out of it. Did you ever think about becoming a professional photographer? Was that ever on your list of like, you know what, maybe I'll just become a professional <clears throat> photographer? Not particularly. However, I mean, it was more, it was more just a passion, like a hobby. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the best way to approach stuff. Um, <clears throat> I had an opportunity to be a paparazzi once. I, I spoke to an outfit and they told me Elton John's going to be at the V&A Museum in London at, I don't know, 2 p.m. or something. Um, go and get some photos of him. And I thought about it and I thought that's not really, like, I don't want to make money by harassing people. And yeah. I mean, paparazzi is like part of how the subject makes money as well, but I just don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be in some bushes somewhere invading someone's privacy. So I had a chance to do that, but I just decided not to. I, um, in I don't blame you for that at all. That sounds awful. Like I, that isn't, it doesn't sound like the beauty of photography, right? Like when you think about photography, you don't think of someone invading someone's privacy in a fucking bush. Yeah, that's more a love of money than photography. Yeah. And it's just, it wasn't for me. That's not me. I can't, that doesn't sit well with me. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just find it interesting because I know that um, you seem very, I guess the, the word is artistic, or at least I think you come across artistic. I don't know if you necessarily are, but at least you're in entertainment. Um, you have this like love for photography and stuff like that. So I find it very fascinating that like previously there was something that was a hobby that could have potentially turned into a job. And I mean, esports kind of, started out as a hobby and you you turned it into a, a full-time thing right like 
Um, yeah, that that's actually, I suppose I should mention partly what happened there. So in London, I used to go to arcades. Yeah. Um, there was one in Victoria Station, um, which I used to go to, which was my local. And I had no money. They had like Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 fighting game, they had Primal Rage. They had Daytona USA and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Daytona USA was really good because you had the whole car thing. I mean, the seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the whole car. There was a Ridge Racer, like whole car on a different arcade. But anyway, the Daytona USA seat, because you'd be like slightly back like this, there were these, for some reason, where the chair, where the bottom of the chair met the back, there were these two little kind of slots and people's money would roll out of their jeans into those slots and they would have no idea. So I'd often find pound coins then I could play Daytona. And because there was one guy who had run the arcade and he couldn't leave, he would give me money to go and get him McDonald's from upstairs. And I'd bring it down for him. And then he'd give me free credits on oh, nice. Mortal Kombat 3. So I got some freebies there. I had Virtual Cop there as well, which is great. Um, <clears throat> so I used to play the fighting games uh, and the and the driving games there as well. So while I was playing Counter-Strike at home, I was playing arc- fighting yeah. games in the arcades and so on. Um, so I became part of the Street Fighter 4 community in 2009. And uh, long story short... Looking at the coverage that America had, you know, they had they had their all their tournaments and they were streaming it and so on, but no one was streaming the tournaments over here. Yeah. And people over there were getting sponsored and they were getting sent to different trips and so on. And I, and I thought we had players that were good enough to get similar treatment in Europe, but they didn't have the exposure because no one was broadcasting the events. Yeah. So while initially I went on the on the circuit to play myself, not that I was the best, but um, I ended up <coughs> broadcasting stuff instead because it's like well someone's got to step up and do this so i yeah i stepped up and did it so i actually used to like i want this is a, a macbook pro that i'm on now and my original 17 inch macbook pro was the I, I initially bought that to um to broadcast the tournaments and that went from from level to level i used to go to dreamhacks rent an ibis i'd have three players sleeping on dota floor i'd be sharing my bed with another guy who was part of the like a commentator or something and then um, it kept escalating and eventually DreamHack would fly me over. They put me in a hotel um, and I'd stream their events yeah. on my own channel. Then, um, because at, at that time, DreamHack would only, they would only broadcast the top four in Dream Arena Extreme, where the 1.6 finals were. Um, and that was it. The rest of the tournament had no coverage, no one recording it, apart from on their phone or with a camcorder. So I would go and, and broadcast that stuff. Then um, it escalated to where the, you know, the Capcom Pro Tour came in. So I'd do white label broadcasts. I'd cover all the European stops for them. And then with Face It, we would do Milan Games Week for Capcom Pro Tour. I went to Kuwait for them. Yeah. You know, I, and they would pay me. They would give me a budget for these. I would fly uh, commentators in. I did some of the Mortal Kombat, no, the Injustice Tour, actually. And I, I flew in. Uh, I persuaded them to raise the budget to fly in a commentator from America and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I did a lot of stuff in France, like multi-game tournaments. I did World Games Cup every year, um, and just all kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff. So, mm-hmm. so that was like that became its own production company. Basically, yeah. I re- I a lot of the money I made from that I put into buying professional cameras, buying a Mac Pro rather than a MacBook Pro, and this and that, and blah blah blah. Paying the commentators, flying them in, organizing hotels, all this kind of stuff. Um, so that so that was a great journey, and then that when I got in touch with Face It about Counter Strike stuff, the reason I got a full time job in the first place is because I could produce, 
I could manage people. I could also do commentary. So, so I, I just from from passion, I, I was able able to develop a lot of skills that yeah. were useful. Um, and I came from, you know, commercial real estate, so I understood like business because a lot of people in esports don't understand business, which makes things awkward and difficult to talk to some people, but. It's very important if you do that, have the understanding at least. So I, I feel I like that tools. is one of the things that gets overlooked probably the most is like the business aspect of like esports. Like when you look at esports as a whole, I feel like most people yeah. don't take into account. They just think like it's endless amounts of money and that it can do whatever it wants. And that's really not how it works. Yeah. And people look at things emotionally a lot. Yes. When you, you emotion emotions and business have to be separate otherwise yeah. it's going to cause yourself problems yeah um you know some people will learn these things some people won't but yeah. there we go it is what it is yeah i mean it is and i want to ask you some questions about that there was one slight thing that i just thought of mm -hmm. that i remember hearing um that kind of goes back to your it background you briefly mentioned you were involved in some level of like a hacker group um and, and oh what yeah like, well because i i actually had dj weed on here uh, and actually, I don't know if you know this, but he was actually at one point the FBI came to him when like the internet was first starting because he had hacked into his school and stuff like that. And they were like, "Oh my God, you could be like arrested and stuff like that." What what level of hacking are we talking about here, James? How how far are we going? Okay, well, first I'll say it was uh, I was a script kiddie. I didn't have any particular skills per okay. se, but um, okay. So let's say I knew people. Okay, so back in the day, before things like Kazar, right, you on IRC, you had these things called XDCC servers, mm -hmm. where basically you could uh, get files transferred over IRC. I mean, that was that was the best way, XDCC, but the FBI were all over those, mm -hmm. and uh, there may have been some some uh, emails from the from the FBI about one of those servers. Um, but anyway. Um, there was also there were these things there were these teams called FXP teams mm -hmm. and FXP if you look at FTP servers FXP is basically where you get one FTP server and another FTP server and FXP is when you send from one FTP directly to the other FTP yeah. so rather than you like downloading a file from here and uploading it from there you're using the the T1 lines that they have or whatever lines they have and just doing direct so when you would have like a zero day server an FXP team would have some kind of like host server with like just all the all, a massive file dump on there. And when you when you rooted a, a SQL server with a, a common exploit, um, you would set it up so they could just fill it with wares immediately. Or in the UK, a lot of people called it warheads. So I called it. I hang out with some Russian guys who we. It started with things like WinUke ninety five, where they would in, in in IT. Okay, so we had the Russians using WinNuke 95 to nuke other IP, uh, computers, you literally just put the IP in and press nuke and it would blue screen. But then like the Mandem wanted to beat them up. And because I was kind of like half Mandem, half with the Russians, I was like, guys, 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 stop, like I stopped them from getting beaten up and stuff. But it started with that. And then um, I guess I became more curious about that stuff and looked at like the box.sk um, websites and so on, and then got involved with, um, people yeah. <laughs> uh so there was this there was this group um one of the main things they used to do was they used to hack porn sites because back in those days they had like things like cc bill and basically they had these these forms to log into to the porn sites and people who subscribed they basically the porn sites had this like dictionary of 
of passwords or something they would generate. So these guys had a massive IRC channel called alt.sex.passwords. So people would go and talk to the bot and say, you know, I want a username and password for this site. And they would go into the directory of hacked usernames and passwords. I wasn't involved in that stuff, but that was like their, that was like their meat and potatoes. That was what they were known for. But um, we did other stuff like we, <coughs> we got, um, there was this program called, actually, I don't want to say what it is just in case, but it was a program, like a file sharing program. Yeah. It wasn't Kazar. And um, there were some Usenet groups where pedos were trying to like find dodgy material on there. So we put up a client that was bound with a Trojan horse, which would connect to our IRC channel. And it would it would it would say what they're typing in on the on their uh, computer, and um, there was so we actually baited one guy who was dodging. We could see what he was searching for. So we looked up his IP, and he was in America. So we sent the inform information anonymously to the FBI. I don't know what what might have happened with that. Yeah, that wasn't. I mean, that, we didn't do that for too long, but. That was some of the stuff we did, and yeah, there was some what, of the. What kind of um, makes FXD you get, was like when you're getting into that kind of level of like information or like technology? Yeah. What what is like the the pressing thing? Is it mostly just to have fun? Is it just to improve your skills? Like, oh, can I do this? Like, what's the drive for that? Um, it's just I don't know. I guess you're just like, it's just the cool stuff on the internet yeah. at the time. You know, like those those. Uh, those like box.sk sites were just like super interesting. It's like, oh, you just want to know, you just want to, it's like a, you just crave the knowledge. Yeah. Uh, once you see that stuff, you go into various IRC channels and different networks. And uh, apart from QuakeNet, people on QuakeNet thought QuakeNet was IRC, which was hilarious. But anyway, um, various communities and things. And it's just like, you meet interesting people and it's just cool to learn about stuff, mm -hmm. I suppose. And then it's like, um, someone tells you, okay, there's a vulnerability with this. And if you do these steps, then you can turn it into this. And and it's like, I guess it's cool. Yeah. Of course. I, 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 I find it interesting, I that, but it's it just... was in a test environment in my house on land. Yeah. Never did on the internet. Yeah. Um, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess it's just like a curiosity thing. It's like, oh, this is really cool. And it's just I think I think it's just uh yearning information really. It's not mm -hmm. like necessarily a desire to do anything malicious. It's just it's just wanting to learn, yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I think it I think that and I think that's that's a unique personality trait for people right people who seek out i think mental stimulation like wanting to learn more and do that and i think that that actually shows a large character of who you are because i don't know if that has just stopped with with like that and that's kind of why i wanted to ask you a little bit about it is because you seem like a person who is always willing to learn more and always wants to learn more and wants to be probably uh very competitive at whatever you do i have to add actually so with that hacker group so i was pretty young at the time I didn't even have internet at home. I used to go to, um, there's, there's an airline called EasyJet, right? Yeah. And they, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they, they extended their brands. So they had an easy. I don't think they're in America or at least I. Okay. Okay. It's like a, it's like a cheap yeah. airline. In, it's like, in the uh, UK. like a spirit or something like, like some UK yeah. cheap airline. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So, so they had, they had, they had, internet cafes that I think were called easy internet cafe, but it may have changed the name to easy everything at some point. It had other easy products, mm -hmm. but so, so next to Victoria station, there was one. And from midnight, you could have six and a half hours for one pound. So I could just sit there 
for six and a half hours. And um, they had, because you know, most people on IRC would use MIRC, right? But the client that would, they had on the computer was called Visual IRC, V-I-R-C. Mm-hmm. The guy who made that actually, I think he died like 10 years ago. But anyway, um, I forget the guy's name. I didn't know him, but it said it on the thing. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I used to use Visual IRC with this weird IRC client, but and and go on and, and uh, talk to these groups in the middle of the night. But I got kicked from the hacker group because I there's a magazine in the UK called Computer Active, right? And at the time, I wrote in, because people were talking about, you know, I'm scared about my children using the internet and so on. And I thought, oh, let me like um, give this woman some reassurance. So I wrote in and said what we do. And then because of that, they got wind of it somehow. I did mention the website, though. <laughs> so they got wind of it and I had a hearing on IRC but I got the time zone wrong because they were mostly Americans so I turned up I think like four hours after my hearing and because I didn't turn up especially I got kicked from the group so oh, okay that was that was a shame it was cool but, to be in that group they were good people but anyway that's, that's probably what ended up becoming anonymous like te- like many many years <laughs> later that's that's the the group that probably became what we know as anonymous today so <laughs> Who knows? I find it, like your life is just so interesting to me. Um, one of the things I want to ask you uh, about esports, kind of jumping back to that, um, you've talked a lot about your career getting into it. Obviously, you came up through the fighting games, um, and then you started working on CS:GO uh, by getting an offer yeah. to uh, just do some casting here or there, and then you eventually get offered Face It um, to work with Face It, which you've been working with Face It for quite a while, um, many, yeah. many, many years now. Um, one of the things I kind of want to ask you, and we've seen this kind of come up more and more, um, especially with someone like Henry, who had released that in like very long uh, text post about like being burned out about the scene and casting and stuff like that, and then wanting to go to competitive, is you've been with the company for a while, um, which is kind of interesting. Do you think that you have a, a different perspective on like burnout and stuff like that? Because you've actually been with the company. You still do freelance stuff for other things, but you've been with Face It for like six six years seven years it's been yeah, a long about time six years i think yeah it's it's weird because there are there are vacuums in counter-strike like if you look at the people who do you know like if you look at esl stuff for example yeah. they hire pretty much the same people to do all their stuff yeah. um so but uh, but again i think for people in that position if they turn something down then they may feel like the people who do that instead of them are now the people in that vacuum and suddenly they find themselves in the in, on the outside. And there's a fear that that being on the outside may turn your revenue to zero. Yeah. If the new people are, cause you, you, you've got to think about status quo. If, if you say no to an event and then someone else does it, if they the organizer considers that the, the new status quo and that's their relationship, yeah. then you might not, there's no guarantee you're going to yeah. get the next thing. Most most of the people who work with them never see a contract. Some people didn't see any contract apart from one thing, some stupid pledge that they had them sign. So it's like for, for it's not the same for A as it is for B. Yeah. For example, so like my situation is very very different to theirs. I, I wasn't interested in being freelance because. Um, it's not like I need more mental stimulation as, as you may have noticed. It's more, it's more lucrative if you're in that vacuum, which there's no guarantee you'll be. I think if you're not in that vacuum and you're freelance, it's very difficult and pretty stressful. Um, which is partly why I think you see a lot of people, whenever a new game, everyone's just trying to 
Yeah. They're trying to find their I feel like Valorant is probably a good example of that. You see a bunch of CS talent who maybe weren't at the, the tier one uh, going over that. You even see some people who are uh, maybe higher up who are trying for it because if you can get into that vacuum, I think that you're pretty well set. Yeah, people want to find some comfort with their with their you know financial revenue and know yeah. that okay, I've got something solid. Because right now, I think for most people working or trying to work in CS, it's like uncertain because again, there's only a few places where you have that security or you have that vacuum, and then outside of that, it's just uh, scraps a lot of the time. So, so it's it's hard work in that respect. Um, and then I guess there are relationships with the people you're working for, and I know over there there are fr- some frustrations of people not really getting what they what they want out of it mm-hmm. and, and again like it's not it's not for everyone it's it's mentally taxing for, for some people more than it is for others uh for for various different reasons so it's pretty complicated like on the from the outside it looks like a dream job and it, and it is but it's not you know you, you need to be able to handle the downsides yeah. of it. like if you're if you're traveling around the world constantly and um that that can be lonely for some people if you if you don't have like a partner or if you do, it's hard to even maintain a relationship. If you've never yeah. seen that person, if they can't travel with you, there's like a lot of, a lot of things. Or if you're just the type who's, who's homesick, um, there's, there's many, many, many issues, especially like <clears throat> considering how much ESL tried to swell the calendar. If you look at like, you know, when I went to Shanghai, I went to Bali for a week afterwards and you know, I have the time to do that. You don't necessarily have the time to do something cultural and get like a balance in your life. Um, so, so there's like a lot of variables where if, if you've got the wrong one switch for you, then it can be a lot more stressful than, uh, than someone else. Yeah. So I want to kind of delve a little bit more into the business aspect, because first of all, I think that you, you understand the business aspect and I think it's fun to ask questions about this kind of stuff. Um, looking at the way that we've seen the, the different productions coming up with, um, just using CS right now, um, we see Flashpoint, um, which is, I think been one of the people out there pretty much saying that they're going to offer long-term contracts because they they're I think they're a lot of their promotion is to obviously compete with that that freelance bubble um, which I think is very yeah. interesting <clears throat> um, do you think that this freelance bubble that is currently there is going to to change do you think it the 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 evolution is to go to something like flashpoint where it's longer term contracts uh, I don't think so actually well not across the board for various reasons um if you like, if you look at ESL, for example, people, I think, want things from them that they probably in the worst position to offer. Because if you bear in mind, once they got bought by MTG, I mean, if you if you think of before they got bought by MTG, they had they had salaried people who were pure commentators for yeah. them and didn't do anything else. Once they got bought by MTG, then you have the especially because they were trying to sell. Um, they're trying to sell like ESL, GMAC and stuff. You've got to make that look as attractive as possible, right? And part of that is looking as lean as possible. So you have to get rid of people. Yeah. So, you know, they had people who were contracted before, but I think like they became expendable then. So it's, you know, there, there are pros and cons to being, to being freelance. Yeah. One of them is that you're, you're freelance. So you lack that security, but you're going to get, you're going to make more money because of that. Um, so it's it there are different different options so flashpoint can can offer people stability and there are people who who can say yes to that but i feel like if you're in the vacuum um where you're making like loads of money with vsl you might kind of hate the situation you're in yeah because of the constant uncertainty and the fact they could just discard you at any point 
Um, but you know, you're making money while you do it. So mm-hmm. it's, do you think that both business models is going, are, are, are something that are going to stay, or do you think that it's going to switch to more? Like, do you think like, if you had to look at the two companies, um, flashpoints model versus like, uh, ESL, which one do you think, do you think they, they both can last throughout the, the, the times? Do you think that it's going to eventually, cause we, we're seeing more franchises in general, um, with like, uh, Overwatch, Call of Duty, League of Legends, Right, so we see franchises kind of coming up, and mm. I think that's where everyone expects the evolution to go. Um, and with franchises, you kind of expect that talent is going to be probably more long term, probably not as much freelance. Um, but do you think that the ESLs can like hold through and last? I don't know. I don't think that the, the developer in Counter Strike wants to see that happen. I suppose. Um, it could do like long-term damage, which is probably a fear for them. So do I see it lasting? Um, it's it's strange because like ESL keep changing their formats, yeah. but they're, it's, a, it's a bit smoke and mirrors with them. It's like, oh, you know, um, we're trying to make the calendar more comfortable for people, um, but they're still like trying to swallow the calendar as much as possible and make yeah. it as difficult as possible for people to, for people to do other events. And maybe they're in one place for a longer period of time than flying here to there to there, but the effect is similar or the same. So um, they're not being too particularly too upfront with what they're doing, but essentially they're trying to monopolize the scene. They've been trying to do it various ways for years and years and years. Um, so that's like their their end goal, end goal basically. Mm-hmm. I think um, I think I mean I think Flashpoint can absolutely succeed. Um, I think they're probably have a, a better idea of what they're trying to do. And I think it's more beneficial for the people involved as well. Yeah. Um, but only time will tell really. We'll yeah. have to see. That is true. That is time is time is everything. So one of the things about your uh, casting or entertainment style that you've kind of touched upon, and I hope I have this individual right. Um, it was your, you, you mentioned that a big influence on you growing up was your uncle who was in theater. And I believe in the BBC. Uh, godfather, uh, my godfather. Your godfather. So yeah, close. Yeah. So close. Uh, yeah. Uh, I thought it was your uncle, but I knew it was like a close relation. Your godfather. This was an important figure. Who was that and what was he like? Um, well, he's still around. So he's, so my godfather's gay and he's married. So to be honest with you, I'm not even sure which one's my godfather. I think it's Ray. He, he's from Bermuda. Actually, okay. he was in theater. He was in theater. So if you remember, I think it was Rumble in the Jungle, Muhammad Ali fighting in Africa. And if you if you can look this up, um, the the gown he wore he wore a white gown, and I th- I think it was white and in black. It says Muhammad Ali on the back. Mm-hmm. But my godfather did like the secret really? stuff on the back of his gown, yeah, which is really cool. Oh, that's really but, cool. So his husband Peter was in the original Robin Hood show on BBC. He was in uh, loads of theatre stuff as well. He was in Cats at one point. I went I was I went to a theatre show he was in when I was a young child. And at one point he tried to drag me onto the stage, but I froze. I was like, oh, I can't do it. Which I really regret that. I really wish I went up there. But he, I mean, they're like full of energy and uh, flamboyant in, not in a two camp way, but just like, just loud and in a, in a nice way. And just great, like full of energy. So definitely got a sense of humor from them. Mm-hmm. Um, even to this day, uh, just hilarious. No, did, did you, my mom, did you, Mary, my mom calls him Mary. It's, they're just like, it's good. It's a good time. I was did, did you interact with them guys. a lot growing up? Was that a, a common thing? Like they, were they active in your life? They were my neighbors up until 
I moved at about 11 years mm-hmm. old. But even now, they live around the corner. I don't see them enough, even when I am at home. But mm-hmm. um, we've always, well, they were neighbors. And I mean, they're more or less neighbors now. They live around the corner from me. So um, I visit them from time to time, all too rarely, which I will regret one day. Um, but yeah, I don't see them as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, but uh, definitely the influence is always there. Yeah, actually it- makes, because um, he, he used to make like, he used to have people like Liz Taylor in his house. He used to make couture outfits for people. Um, and now like he makes like blankets and things. I, I bought a few um, things from him to put some money in his pocket. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's nice to have something from, from him at home as well. Yeah, yeah, because I, I remember you mentioning this and that seemed almost like a close family member who probably had a large influence. Like, I mean, if, if you say that this is the person who had like so much influence on your life, I feel like that's got to be an important figure of like, Hey, this is someone yeah, who, well, who did that. To be honest, there wasn't there wasn't much family around for me. Bearing in mind, my my mother was from Cameroon, and I yeah. didn't speak to my dad's side of the family. Um, there was like those two, and that was about it. I went to Cameroon once. I remember my grandfather, but that's that's about it. They're they're more or less outside of my mum, my only family on that side. And then you know, I'm in touch with my dad now, and like he's been married three times. So I've got a brother an older brother and a younger brother. I've got a sister who I've never met and I probably will never meet um, who's older, but uh, I'm very close with my older brother and his uh, mm-hmm. wife and children as well. So I'm happy you were able to yeah. rekindle those, <clears throat> those relationships. I think that that's, that's really important. Uh, can, can you talk about what it was like to rekindle those? Cause I mean, obviously you mentioned you didn't have any contact till you were 15 and then you got a letter. Um, if you don't feel comfortable, don't feel obligated no, that's to. That's fine. But... That's fine. Yeah. He, so he wrote me a letter and I was like, you know, I was, I, it came out of the blue. I wasn't expecting that. And it was a bit, I had mixed emotions. I had some anger. I wasn't sure why that. I wasn't sure if I should be mm-hmm. angry about it. I never, you know, my, my mother hates my dad with a passion, yeah. but you know, I don't know what the whole story is. And I wasn't particularly interested in, 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 in hearing the whole thing because it's just like he said, she said, yeah. it wasn't anything too crazy. You know, it was just a, a, a breakup. Um, so um, so I guess like, I remember he once sent me a Christmas present of a remote control tank, which only had directions to go forward and left. So if you drove it into the wall, you were just stuck. You had to pick it up and move it. Um, and I had, I had one of those like big skateboards where the back is a little bent and the front is flat, but I was too scared to fall off it. So I just sat on it and went down a hill. So I could have been a skateboarder, but um, I think my center of balance is too high for that. But anyway, so I, I met him a few times and he still had his company at the time. And I met my younger brother who was very immature at the time. Um, but he's, uh, he's a bit out there, but he's, he's, he's older and smart now. And he's quite a little kid, but mm-hmm. my, old, my older brother, you know, he, he's, his wife was French yeah. and he lives in France. He, he, he's been to, he's lived in Cameroon as well. So um, I'm pretty close with him. And he's great because, you know, I'll go and see him and his kids and we'll go like drive to a mountain and go up and have like a picnic at the top of a mountain or a hill or something. Um, So that's, uh, yeah, he lives in rural France. For the longest time, he used a map, wouldn't use like GPS or anything. He's a guy who has skills. You know, if, if, if all the energy in the world cut out, he would be alive. I wouldn't know. So He's uh, a great admiral person. He taught me actually how to develop uh, black and white film. Really? He he learned photography in London. Yeah. So he is uh, 
very smart man and we talk about photography and stuff every day so that's awesome um <laughs> yeah so he is uh a great sibling to have definitely his yeah. kids are all awesome as well um so he like going to see his family made me a member of a family because uh-huh. before it was just my, me and my mom and it was you yeah. know yeah it was up and down um but that was like it was it was weird at first because I didn't know, like, I was an uncle. I didn't know how to operate as an uncle. I had a, I had no experiences or exposure to, like, a proper family unit. So I was like, what am I supposed to do? How, you know, it was, it was, uh, I struggled with it in some weird ways that were more, like, internal, not, like, how I behaved yeah. or anything like that. But, um, but I got there in the end, I suppose. I don't, I don't get to see them enough. It's really sucks now that France is in lockdown. I can't really yeah. go there. Um, yeah, I think I have severe asthma as well. So if I get COVID, I might be in a lot of trouble. So please, um, please, don't get COVID, please. I would, I would really prefer <laughs> that not to happen. Um, Me I, too. I have a slightly. Uh, I guess this is probably going to be the hardest question. If you don't feel like answering it, I do not blame you at all. Okay, so okay. I, I'm forewarning you. Okay, I, I'm, it's it's like the Donald Trump interview where she says, "I'm warning you, this next question's hard." Um, so okay. Uh, one of the things you had mentioned in a past interview is that there was a close family friend who passed away and you were too selfish to go visit them. Um, and it probably happened. I want to say it was between five and seven years ago. If I have the dates right. Um, okay. What, what was that story? What happened there? Because I think this is something important for other people. And the only reason I bring that up is not just to get a story out of you, because I think it's important um, to realize that you should reach out to people, that it's, it's really important to reach out to people um, especially people that are like uh, family or friends of a family or people that you care about. Well, I think it's just one of those situations where someone's like, you know, you have like your uncle or something is always around the corner yeah, and you never bother, you never bother to visit them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it can be uh, like, I have a lot of interest in someone. And if I, if I want to just go and do my interests, as you can see, it's like, it's just, it's just selfish reasons really. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to be there for people you care about, especially I, I think like as you, as you get older, you just like, if, if you're lucky, you just come to a realization about things just yeah. one day, just like you just have more perspective on something. And I think one of the things I did, you know, a lot of people learn things by making mistakes. Right. So yeah. um, I guess I, I learned the value of, being there for people you care about, especially if they're older. Like, you know, my mother right now, she's, she goes to the shops, she goes home and she watches TV and that's not good mentally Yeah. to do that. So I could be like, Oh, I'll see my mom once a week or something. No, you have to go and see her every day or almost every day. See her five times a week at least, you know, mm-hmm. because otherwise like she will deteriorate and then it's going to be a very mentally taxing situation for you and and when that stuff happens like it's it's you can't do anything about it it's done it's too late so i think if you if you have someone who is important to you but you're like oh i can speak to them on the phone i can send them a text or whatever like you should go and see them you should go and uh show that you're thinking about them which is which is what i do with my friends i often get gifts for for people i'm i'm good friends with people i people have met in my journeys like uh, like um there is a we have like a makeup artist who we used to use at e-league for example yeah. 
she's a she's a single mother with two daughters and uh i i just have a great chat with her about beauty stuff and and, and whatever just just fun like she's she's really awesome so every every so often like i'll just send her a candle from london because mm-hmm. i know she loves candles and it's just like it means something to someone to know that they're thought about yeah so i feel like if you actually because i think if if you're if you're quite young you might not know this yet but really like your close group of friends won't be that many people and it, sh- and it shouldn't because yeah. it, that's just not really how life works but if people you actually give a shit about you should do something for them if you can and it doesn't have to be something that costs you money it can just be a message or a phone call or whatever but yeah it makes a difference and i think if you don't do that it hurts you for a long time man when you the the you know i think i would probably describe myself as a control freak but if you have a regret that's not something you can do anything about and it will eat at you for a very long time a very yeah. long time so if you can do something about that you know while you have the opportunity then then you should i think that that's good so kind of moving on to uh, we kind of talked about <clears throat> covid which i hope you do not get covid um i think that covid right now has made it a very odd time for esports in general i don't know if you saw today but espn has basically gotten rid of all like a significant if not all of their esports department um today okay um so that's happening but uh, i have heard that Mm -hmm. budgets have been kind of tight in general because of covid um is this something that scares you for 2021 um and maybe moving on forward beyond that because it seemed to have uh, a large effect on at least the esports and entertainment in general well, in the grand scheme of things, I am more concerned with. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, my, my main concern is like people dying, you know, like my what if my mother gets COVID and yeah. stuff. But it's um, like for Flashpoint right now, you know, I'm in, I'm in self isolation today. Had Corona test stuck up my nose and my throat earlier, so once it's done. The result comes in tomorrow. Should be free to walk around with a mask on. Um, <clears throat> uh, but that to enable that stuff and to create a bubble has significant cost. Yeah. Um, so if you're doing things properly, the cost goes up, but your probably your revenue potentially goes down. It depends. I think maybe. Like maybe right now people have existing contracts with sponsors and so on. Like you see um, ESL delivering like I am Beijing yeah. and this and that, but it's all from like Germany, right? But they're, they're delivering a product where, where they'll have contracts for this year, I'm sure. But when it comes to re-upping for, for I mean, they're, they're, so, they're big enough, but they probably have like maybe a like multi-year deals, like three or five years or something. But if you're not in that situation, um, then it's going to be, probably difficult i guess the question is what do people have the money to buy because if you think about it people a lot of people are at home although a lot of people also lost their jobs but i don't know how much that correlates to people being at home and what they might find useful at home like peripherals and so on yeah maybe that's more important maybe that's more attractive now that they're spending potentially even more time on it so if they've got a disposable income you know there's there there are things to be measured in that respect but Definitely, I would imagine there'll be a shrinking. Like, there's a lot of what I don't like in the news right now is a lot of like in the UK we have people saying the oh like pharmacists will be ready to deliver a vaccine early next year, like in spring next year, should one become available in December. Yeah. So it's kind of like 
managing people's expectations. But the only the only thing that's relevant from that is that they don't have a vaccine yet. Yeah, exactly. You, if you don't if you don't have one, you can't say when you're going to get one. Yeah. You either have one or you don't have one. So so that stuff is just like complete uncertainty. And I think you have to go worst case scenario until you know otherwise. And I know there's like a third the third and I think final round of testing for for some vaccines where they're doing a large group of people to look for yeah. side effects and so on. But still I think it's uh I think you have to go by worst case scenario. Um and even even in the UK, they said only the the most vulnerable groups will get it, which would be like older people, people who work in the health system, people like me with severe asthma, you know, respiratory yeah. uh, issues, um, or th- things like diabetes or whatever. Um, so until a sol- until there is an actual solution, I think it's it's like if you you know if you have like an up and coming game, I mean, there's a lot of issues like. You know, we have one of the biggest games in the space. But if you if you have a game and you're trying to make it there and so on, uh, I suppose there's a lot of variables like how do you get eyeballs on your on your game? You don't have live events like a DreamHack or something to have yeah. a booth at and so on. So it's weird. Like maybe people would save money from from like booths and things like E3, blah blah blah. Um, so I'm sure like for a game launch, in terms of game launches, I'm sure games are still, will still be launched because it's yeah. arguably the best time to launch games because there's more people to play them because everyone's at home. So, but in terms of uh, events, it depends. I think I think what's difficult at the moment is, at least in Europe, the all the countries shutting down again. Yes. Because it makes it like, if you if you want to plan to have like plays in the studio, for example, within a bubble, then how do you pick a, even a country to have that in when you have all these lockdowns going in, going down? I, I think if that goes on for longer, there may be a more reasonable process because sporting activities are still going on for better or worse. Yeah. I don't want to use Florida as an, as an example. I live in that state right w- now. It's awful. Yeah, because like if you look at WWE in a, in a performance center, they are constantly having outbreaks there constantly. Um which isn't a good example, but you know, you, you do have the sporting events like football. Yeah. I don't watch the, the football news much, but I think it, for the most part, it seems to be okay. I know Ronaldo had Corona uh, a few weeks ago, but you know, you can sub out a player in an 11 man squad, but for uh, an esports team, for the most part, you don't really have that luxury. You don't. So it causes a lot more, you know, it causes a lot more problems. Like Navi were um, postponing games because Perfecto, I think it was Perfecto who had Corona. So I think it's a bigger issue for esports in that you don't have like you, it's not a proper sporting team roster with substitutes and so on where you can still make it work if you have some you, there's contingency you don't really have contingency yeah in in these so so that also makes it a problem even if you have like one or two people who you've got to isolate for a while that can really mess up your whole tournament yeah so um and that can affect viewership as well if that's like a, a big brazilian team and you know then so there's a, there's a lot of things like in terms of points of failure, there are so many points of failure mm-hmm. to try and do something with teams on site right now. And if you're doing it on the internet, it's, it can still be interesting. I think, especially with the way we do things, we've got different setup of teams and different kind of broadcast to make it interesting. It's not just your usual yeah. regular scheduled programming that you're seeing every other week. So there are some pros in that respect, but yeah, it's definitely a scary time of all, with all the uh, asterisks here. 
Yeah, it can, it can, I worry because I, I can't yeah. imagine that ad revenue is higher at all. Like, and in fact, I'm willing to bet that it was it, w- it would be lower. I don't have any data to show this, but from some of the people I've talked to, it sounds like it is lower uh, because people just aren't like buying things as much. Um, they're buying some things, yeah. but so if at if and esports is largely funded by um uh, like different well, it's, it's activations. You're, you're not yeah. you're not going to you're not going to survive on like on Twitch adverts. Basically, yeah. no, 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 no. It's no, about yeah. activations and. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Products and things. Yeah, and, yeah, I'm not. I'm not thinking yeah. like the, the 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 three minute ads that Twitch does. I do not. Those those the CPM on those is terrible. Um. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, like just in general, like getting a, a sponsorship from like Red Bull or something like that, or different activations. I can't imagine that they're 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 staying the same. Uh, I would just be kind of surprised. I think there are different opportunities. I think there's a lot of unexplored opportunities actually with um act- activations. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe it depends per game. I think Counter Strike is yeah. obviously one of the harder games because you're, you know, terrorists and things, and yeah, especially with what's going on around the world at the moment. So that makes it more difficult. But I think there's plenty of 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 interesting things to be done. If you look at if you look at Nike, for example, you look at the sneakers yeah. app. They're still releasing sneakers That's every true. week. They have a calendar for the whole year. And I mean, I think streetwear alone is like a massive, massive thing with yeah. our audience, which sporting people don't have, which is why they buy up all the esports teams. I think that's just like a massively, massively overlooked, for example. So there's a lot of opportunity, which is which has to date not really been been done in our space. So while the things that we have traditionally done have been, you know, potentially going down, there's like there's way more upside that just hasn't been explored properly. Yeah. I I can see that. Um awesome. Well I don't know if you noticed I had you here for an hour and a half. Um, believe it or not, I only have one last question for you. Um, okay. Arguably the hardest question. Okay. This is actually the only right. question that I ask every single one of my guests. Um, I've greatly appreciated having you on here. I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, it's too bad. You were stuck here anyways. So there's nothing you can do about it. Um, <clears throat> my last question, though, for you um, having had the experience being on the show and telling about your life, if you could see anyone to be on the show, the only criteria is they have to speak English because it's the only language that I know. Uh, who would you okay. like to see on here? And if you pick someone who I've had, I'll let you know. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, so of the people who comes come to mind, I'm interested. I, I would say KNG. Okay. Because because um, I don't know what his English is like though. Um, I've spoken to him briefly, but not, I don't know what it's like for an interview. It's probably not good enough to be honest, but I remember there was an interview where he said that where he comes from in Brazil, failure is not an option. And I can entirely understand that. And I w- that would be interesting to kind of, um, because I feel like in certain countries, like in Brazil, for example, <clears throat> the importance of like making it in Counter-Strike is, it just, is not the same as like Western Europe or something. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be interesting to see like, have more insight on people who come from a world and a culture like that. So that would be quite interesting, interesting to, for me. I think people by default would look at the more like controversial stuff, like internet drama, but I don't really give a shit about that. It's more the the real life stuff like yeah. this that is of interest to me. So just a, a very different perspective from a world that most of us don't come from. Uh, I say most of us, actually their audience is enormous, but even so that that's what would interest me. 
Awesome. I actually, I like that a lot and I will, I will definitely look into it. Well, that is all the questions that I have for you, James. I loved having you on the show. If you have any shout outs or anything like that, you're more than welcome to give them to anyone who's been listening. Otherwise I will close out my shows. No shout outs for me. Just uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And I, I said a lot of stuff here, which I haven't said in public before. So that was kind of interesting but exciting i'm not i don't uh, regret doing it i'm glad i did it so. awesome I'm, I'm glad to hear that i'm glad to hear that well i appreciate you so much for being on here uh for everyone out there my name is blake panish this has been the minds of media and until next time i hope you guys all have a wonderful day